right, church. You can be seated, and we're in Matthew chapter 28 today. Because today we're going to talk about the mission. We have the blessing because in Christ Jesus, what the Word of God says is that we've come alive because of Christ. If you remember when He found you, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. If you remember, you were hopeless and helpless and you were lost without the Savior. But He has come in and He has made you alive. And so now that we're alive, the question becomes, what shall we do? What is it that God wants from us? What is it that He has called us to? And folks, I want to remind us today that the foundation of everything that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, and John's right, I probably can't do it in four weeks, we'll just see. But the reality is, there is a foundation that needs to be laid before we can get to come, connect, serve, and go. Come, connect, serve, go for us is a strategy, but it's not the mission. So today, we want to talk about the mission, which is making disciples. I want everyone here today to leave knowing what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Most times we use terms like, I've been saved. Or I'm born again. But I want you to understand that when we say we're saved and we're born again, there's a component to that which also we have to understand, which is I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And not only am I a disciple of Christ, but the greatest calling of my life is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So I hope today challenges you. And I hope that today you see this is the foundation of who we are as a body of believers, as a church called Hepzibah. Now, church, as we begin today, I just want you to think with me for a moment. There are companies that are out there that are just synonymous for things, right? If, if I were to say the name of certain companies, you immediately are going to think things. Like if I say Nike, what do you think? The shoes, right? Now, who said just do it? Jessica, somebody, there was a, there's always a few in the crowd, right? And, and just do it, that's fine, that's their logo. But if I were to say what product do they make, you immediately go shoes. Now, they may do a few other things like golf clubs or golf balls, but listen, the day they stop making shoes is the day they cease to exist as a company. If I were to say Microsoft, you think what? Yeah, computers, even though they're into software and other things as well, their money is made on the manufacturing of these computers and the hardware and the software for these computers. And, and then there are companies that really, they have the corner market because when we think of the product, we immediately think of the name. So when I, if you go to a restaurant and they say, what do you want to drink? What are you likely to, you're going to say Coke usually, right? And even if you don't mean Coke, most people, now we're in the Carolinas and, and I, I mean, Matt DeYoung over here, that was fighting words for him this morning. He works for Pepsi. I thought he was going to tackle me. He was like, no, it does not mean Coke. But the reality is most of us, we go to a restaurant, we say, do you have a Coke? And they say, no, but we have Pepsi. Or even when you think about things like, what is a Band-Aid? Technically, it's just a bandage, right? It's a bandage. But when we think bandage, what do we immediately ask for? Band-Aid is the brand. And so, listen, you know what that makes me think about is when people think of the church, when people consider the church, what is the thing that they think of first? And let me ask, the outside world is going to have an opinion on that. The outside world is going to think about what that means, and it ought to matter to us how they perceive us. Because being a disciple of Jesus, what I want people to see when they see the church, I want them to see Jesus. 
I want them to know that there are people within that body of believers that they are disciples. They are followers. They have been transformed. They are on mission. I want people to realize, especially because if we don't get it inside the church, they'll never get it outside the church. That what we make in this body of believers, that if we don't do this, then we cease to understand why we even exist. All of you, and I'm going to make the case today for not just me, not just the pastors, not just missionaries, not just teachers, not just deacons, but every single person in the sound of my voice, you have been saved, you were created for God's glory so that people might know him through you. Let's take a look at what the word of God has to say. People ask me all the time as pastor, what is the mission of Hepzibah Baptist Church, right? What is your mission? Well, that's easy for me to answer. Most people, when they think that, they think that the mission is come, connect, serve, go. That's not the mission. That's how we carry out the mission. The mission of Hepzibah Baptist Church is very simple. The mission is the Great Commission. Do you notice I never get tricky? I never get cute. I never try to change what it is that Jesus said when it comes to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. It stands on its own. It Listen, all I've got to do is share it. It's not just Matthew chapter 28 that is the Great Commission. That's what we think of when the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But the reality is Mark has a commission. Luke has a commission. John has a commission. Acts 1-8, Luke again reiterates the commission through Acts 1-8 because the reality is at the end of Jesus' life, every single person that recorded the acts of Jesus and the acts of the Spirit of God over in the book of Acts, all of it points to one conclusion that Jesus has gone away and he has left us to make disciples. Let me read to you how Matthew says it. In Matthew Chapter 28, at the very end, we see in verses 18 through 20, these are the very important words of Jesus. These are words that we ought to have memorized. These are words that ought to be on the tip of our tongue always in reminding us who we are in Christ because it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Now, let me get that straight for you. When somebody says, I have all authority, what he's basically telling you is, out of all the people in the world that you need to be listening to, you need to be listening to me. He has authority over heaven, authority over earth. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And at the end of his life, listen, aren't people's last words that they pretty much tell you before they ascend? Wouldn't that be very, very important to you? This is what I want you to remember. This is who you're supposed to be. And he says, I have all authority. And then he says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Understand the language there is very simple. It means as you're going through this life, simply as you are going, whether, because I, here's how I simplify it for this church. I always say to Hepzibah, wherever your feet are, that's where your mission field is. Because some people are like, I don't know where God wants me. Well, I always ask, where are your feet? Because wherever your feet are, he has a mission. He has a plan. He has a purpose. There are people that need Jesus Christ, whether in your workplace or at home in your neighborhood, or if your feet take you around the world to Uganda, Africa, or to Moldova, or to the Philippines, or to Honduras, wherever you find your feet, that's exactly where God is saying you should be going and making disciples of all nations. There is no limit 
to the reach and to the scope of what God has for us. He doesn't want us to just reach Wendell, but he wants us to reach the nations. Basically, what God is saying to us, I want you to take the gospel. It's what Paul would say, too. He says, I want to labor in vineyards where basically the gospel has never been proclaimed. I want to take the gospel to the places where people have not heard the name of Jesus. And folks, you think, well, I've got to go to the deepest parts of Africa to find that. No, you don't. You can go into the neighborhoods of Wendell and you will find people, you will find children. Go do local neighborhood ministries with us. You will find children who live in our communities that will say, I've never heard the story of Jesus. I've never heard the name of Jesus. Who's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who was Noah? All around us are people that need this gospel. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then what does it say? Baptizing them. Bringing them into the body of believers. Baptism is a recognition that their life has been transformed through the power of the gospel. They're now followers of Christ, forgiven and set free. The old life is gone. They have a new life. And we baptize them into this body. Through the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you to do. So that means as we're on the journey, we're teaching others how to walk the same journey. Discipleship is with every step that I take, I'm going to make sure that I'm taking that step with another person and they're following in my footsteps. I'm going to make sure that I have a person in front of me and a person behind me, one who is teaching and mentoring and growing me. But I'm going to make sure that I have those behind me that I am helping make sure they are mentored and they are trained and they are equipped to follow Jesus. I'm going to teach them everything that Jesus Christ has taught to me. And the greatest promise of Scripture that is told over and over and over, and lo, I am with you, when? Always. You want to feel close to Jesus Christ? Get on mission. You want to see his presence? You want to feel his presence? You want to see him move in the mightiest of ways? Get out of the seat and get on the mission field and allow God to use you where he's planted your feet and trust him and obey him and serve him and make him known. And listen, you'll feel his presence in ways you could have never dreamed and you never could have imagined. That's the Great Commission, folks. That's the mission. I want to share with you three things today. They're very important things. The, the first one is knowing the difference between mission and missions. It's important that we understand those two words are not the same. And they have subtle differences that we need to grasp. And we need to understand mission and missions. I'm going to also talk to you about what it is to be a disciple. What's the basic definition? What does it mean if I say I'm a follower of Jesus? I am a disciple of Christ. And thirdly, we're going to look at what is the disciple-making process. What does that look like? How do we make disciples? And that's going to lay the foundation for come, connect, serve, and go. So let's begin this morning with you've got to know the difference between the mission and missions. Okay, I just shared with you the mission. Go ye therefore, right? He's commanded us. It's a command. It's not an option for any of us, but Christ has commanded each one of us to go and to be on mission with him. In the scriptures, we find that the mission of God has never changed. From the very beginning of time, we find that God's mission was clear. When he made you and when he made me, how did he make us different? 
what was different from us than anything else in creation? Yes, we were made in the image and in the likeness of God. That means that, because see, when you think about it, all of us, we always say that creation declares God's glory, right? You know what we forget? We're his creation. It's not just the mountains. It's not just the stars in the sky. You know the greatest declaration of God's glory on this earth isn't the stars, isn't the animals, isn't the seas, isn't the mountains. Do you know the most beautiful thing that people can see is when they they see the character of God in his children. When they see the likeness of God, when they see Jesus in the flesh, though he is in heaven with the Father, that they see people living in the likeness of Jesus with his love, with his compassion, with his mercy, with his righteousness, with his justice, all the things that makes him glorious. When people can see that in us, folks, that has always been the mission. Why did he create a people for himself that they would look completely different than the rest of the world. That's why he chose Israel, that through them he would bless the nations, he would bless the world, and they were to live in such a way that people would declare the glory of God and they would thank God. Folks, that is the whole Old Testament scripture. Let me, let me show you in the Psalms what it says here in the Psalms. In Psalm 23.3, which that's, that's one that you know. Psalm 23.3 is a very familiar psalm. You've memorized it because it's the psalm of the shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd is how it begins. But look at verse 3. It says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. And why does He do it? He does it for one reason. For His name sake his restoring his life that he pours into us is for the sake of his name that he might be glorified flip over a few more pages to chapter 31 verse 3 and look at what it says there it says you O lord have wait am i in the wrong wait a minute psalm oh i'm in yeah i'm sorry i'm in psalm 30 let me go over to 31 you are my rock it says and you are my fortress for your name's sake you will what you will lead me And you will guide me. All that God is doing in you, it says, whether leading or guiding or whether saving, it is for his name's sake. When you go to 79.9, flip over to Psalm 79 and look at what he says there. Over and over through the Psalms, I could give you a hundred of these, but literally he goes on and says, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name and deliver us and forgive our sins For your name's sake. And lastly, Psalm 106, verse 8. What a beautiful verse of Scripture. It's like Bible drill this morning. 106, verse 8. Listen to what it says. I love this. Nevertheless, he saved them. For the sake of his name. That he might make his power known. Do you see how everything about your salvation is about his glory? You know why missions exist? John Piper was right. He said missions exist because worship doesn't. And wherever people aren't glorifying God, wherever people aren't 
worshiping God. We are to take the gospel so that they will see his love and his righteousness and his patience and, and all that makes up who he is, that righteousness, that loving kindness that he pours out on us. And when they are saved, they begin to see God for who he is, and then they begin to worship. In fact, the culmination of all of Scripture is what John saw in the book of Revelation because he, he listen, he looked into heaven, and what did he see there? He saw people from every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation bowing down. And what were they doing? They were worshiping the Lamb. From the beginning to the end of Scripture. In the New Testament, it's bound up in the fact that he says, the mission for the church of Jesus Christ, it is seen in his desire for his church to make disciples among all peoples. In the Old Testament, it was the all-encompassing biblical truth that God is passionate for his name to be known and proclaimed among the nations for his glory. You see, and the reality is both of them are for his glory. In the Old Testament, the world was coming to Jerusalem. The world was coming to the Jews, and they were to display his glory. In the New Testament, nothing has changed except we don't wait for them to come. What do we do? We go and make disciples. We take, and we are witnesses to the ends of the earth. But it's for the same reason. God's glory. So what is missions? If we know that the mission is the Great Commission, if we know that the mission is what the Bible talks about, this passion for His name that God has for His own name to be known and proclaimed for His glory, and we know the New Testament, we do that by making disciples, then why do we use the term missions, and how is it different from the mission? Well, the mission is what we do. Missions is how we do it. How we accomplish it. And you see, for us, missions can be diverse. And the reality is, within every church, there is a diversity of how they do missions because each of us are trying to reach different communities. When we have mission partnerships around the world, the way we reach one isn't the way that we reach another. When we go to Moldova, listen, we do things like clinics. There are people there that are dying for lack of hospitals, for lack of doctors. For they are dying of diseases that we could cure with simple medicines. So we go in there, and you know how we do missions there? We go in and we care physically for them. But while we have them in front of us physically caring for their needs, we make sure that they know that, listen, if this don't get you something else, well, we can save you today, but you can die tomorrow. The reality is the salvation that you need is not just from the temporal sickness that you have, but the spiritual sickness of sin that you have, because one day you're going to stand before God, and we get to proclaim the gospel to them. We get to preach Jesus to them. We get to call them to repentance. And through missions, through something as simple as eyeglasses or medicines, something as simple as camps, L&M, local neighborhood ministries in our church, that's even right here. We don't have to go across the seas to do missions. We literally go into the neighborhoods in Zebulon, Nightdale, and, and Wendell, and they are able to go in. And do they do crafts? Yes. Do they play games? You better believe it. Do they love on those kids? Yes. But you know what the most important thing is? Every time they go out into the neighborhoods around here and they minister to these kids and their families, they open up the word of God with them. And they teach them the word of God and they introduce them to the Savior that they have not met. And that's how we do missions locally. 
we're going to have the chance to get people on our campus. We can pass smoked meat through a window and say, have a good day. Thanks for supporting missions. Or we can try to spend time with them while we have them on our campus and offer some events that their kids are going to love. And while we're doing Easter egg hunts, rather than just talking about the Easter bunny, right? We're going to talk about why we have Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to walk them through what the resurrection really is all about and why we celebrate Easter as believers in Jesus Christ. So, folks, we're going to get the gospel to the people. And see, that's missions. Missions is how we accomplish the mission. So when we ask you to get involved in missions, we're asking you to think about the strategies, the methods, the activities that we use to carry out the mission. Each of you are gifted in different ways to accomplish this, but at the end of the day, here's what I want you to know. That yes, we have a mission. Yes, we accomplish it through missions, but the greatest truth that you can understand and you can see and you can understand this morning is that God, through His grace, has chosen you to complete the mission. If you're in the sound of my voice and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me. You have every bit the call on your life that I have on my life. Your priorities should be the same as my priorities. My priorities should be the same as yours if we're all following Jesus. Amen? My task is a little different. My calling is a little different. But the reality is the core of the calling is identical. We are on mission for the glory of God. Amen? So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you've been saved, you have been sent. Remember the words of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And folks, listen to me when I say this. It is a privilege to share life with people who are dying. I have a cure better than the cure for cancer. I can save them a cancer. They're just going to die of something else. But I have the key to eternal life, salvation through Jesus Christ. And folks, it is an honor and it is a privilege to be able to, to say and to know that God has called us and that he would use us in our weakness to fulfill the great commission. So the question becomes, do we have a strategy? We know what the mission is. We know that missions is possible. You, you are blessed to be in a church that has an extensive missions strategy for how to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and right here in our own local neighborhoods. The question is, are you about the mission? Have you bought into the strategy? Are you willing to say, I love the way Dan Henley put it years ago when he simply said, you know, it's up to us that we graduate Hepzibah. And at first when he said that, I didn't know what he meant. But what he simply meant was that they had come to this church and begun to worship. And then they had gotten connected through small groups. And they began to serve in the local body. Then God put a calling to mission and they went and served in the Philippines. And that's what he meant. That's what he was saying was that he became the disciple that Jesus Christ called him to be. And it results in us making disciples. I can put it another way for you. Tell me the last time, not that you invited somebody to church, not the last time that you came to church, not the last time that you came to Sunday school, not the last time that you gave to the church, not the last time that you sang in the choir. I don't want to, none of that. Let me ask you, when is the last time that you led someone to Jesus Christ? 
saw them baptized into this fellowship and then spent the next year of your life walking beside them, training them up into who they should be as a follower of Jesus. Because that's what it means to make a disciple. That's what it means to make a disciple. It's much more than most of us think. So what is a disciple? Glad you asked. If you turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, I think we have the simplest explanation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you remember, Jesus had just come out of the wilderness temptation, and he was beginning to call his first disciples. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And when you get down to verse 18 and 19, it's interesting because he begins to call his first what? His first disciples. And in that discipleship call, you're going to see exactly what it means. You're going to see what he asked of them. You're going to see what he said of them and to them about what it means to be a disciple. It's very, very simple. You already know this verse. I just don't know if you know the depth of what it means. If you go to verse 18, it simply says, Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea. Why? Because they were fishermen. That's where Jesus found them. That's the life they were living. They had yet to meet Jesus face to face. And here is Jesus walking up to them, and he calls them. And listen to the words of Jesus. I mean, just put yourself in their shoes. They are going about their life when Jesus finds them, when Jesus speaks to them. And listen to the calling. Listen to how life-changing this is. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, in three little parts of that statement, you see exactly what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because what it means first to be a follower of Christ, when we look at this verse, is he says, basically, follow me. What is a disciple? One who follows Jesus. Now, on the surface, that sounds so easy, doesn't it? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Does that mean go to church on Sunday? Does that mean sit in a Sunday school class? No, it means much more than that. When he told these men to follow me, listen, I mean, that's the whole picture of repentance. That means that their life was on this trajectory. What were they doing? They were fishing. This was their livelihood. This was tied up with their entire family. He had a father to answer to. He had others to answer to. He had a livelihood to take care of. Right? I mean, in every way, this is no small thing. When Jesus says, follow me, Jesus immediately gets up and he starts to walk off. And so they have to make the choice. Am I willing to leave everything that I know to follow this man? Do you see the gravity of that? And we talk about repentance, the change of direction. He says, oh, no, no, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for men. And that meant they had to lay down their nets, their livelihood. Think about that for a second. Let that wash over you what these men did, what it meant to them when Jesus said, follow me. See, we want a Jesus that when he says, follow me, it really doesn't change anything. Maybe an hour on Sunday. 
Maybe it'll change a little bit of the way I give, but we don't think about a wholesale change about the way that we see life and what is important in life and what we value in life. Most of us never get our eyes off the things below and really start to look at the things above and start living for eternity and the purposes of God. There are so many of you out here in the sound of my voice that have a calling on your life that you are not answering because you have a million excuses. I got to work. I got to make money. Got to live the American dream, right? Boat ain't going to pay for itself. Some of you have been called to be on mission, but you say, I only got two weeks, man, and I'm going to use those two weeks going to NASCAR races. I want to go fishing. Listen, those things are not in and of themselves bad things. But when you have no margin in your life to really follow Jesus and to be about the things that matter the most. Some of you are saying, I won't teach because that means I have to be here every week. Well, I can think of worse things in life. I mean, really? I don't think you've heard the call clearly when he says, Follow me. You know what matters? Make disciples. Bring them into the body of believers. Baptize them. Teach them. That's the command. That's what he asks of us. And that's what it means when he says, follow me. And then he turns around because it's not just one who follows Jesus. And I'm glad we see the depth of that. But look at what he says. And I will make you. You know what that simply means? It means that a follower of Jesus is one whose life is being transformed by Jesus. When he says, I will make you, think of the potter and the clay. It means that he's going to take you and he's going to make you into something altogether different. Will you have your personality? Sure. Does that mean in every single way nobody would ever recognize you again? No, but there is a reality that part of following Jesus means that we dive into his word and we allow his word to transform our life. The way we talk changes. The way we act changes. The priorities of our life, they change. The things that matter to us, they change. The way we treat people, it changes. Because I'm telling you, if you really are following Jesus in the way that he commands us to, if you are abiding in him and he is abiding in you, let me tell you something, you're going to bear much fruit. And your life's going to be altogether different. Because following Jesus means transformation. I will make you, he says. Does that sound like an option? Does that sound like maybe? Or do you think he had an intention and a plan with those men that he was going to bring to fruition no matter what? Even when they didn't see it themselves or believe it themselves, Jesus saw it, Jesus believed it, and Jesus kept doing it. And I will make you, what does it say? Fishers of men. A believer is not just one who follows Jesus and is transformed by Jesus, but a believer is also a person who is on mission with Jesus. Listen, Jesus, it says that he came to this world for one reason, to seek and to save that which was lost. To give his life a ransom for many, right? To sacrifice everything so that you and I could live. Folks, when you think about this life, if you think this life is for you, you've missed the whole point of your life. Your life is given to you, and you know what Jesus requires of your life? He says that I want you to be a living sacrifice to me. You know what you do with a sacrifice, right? 
you burn it up. It's consumed on an altar. Have you considered that Jesus has a deeper meaning and purpose and call on your life that he wants to use you up in the lives of other people the way he himself laid it all down? I saw this on Facebook a few months ago, and I've seen it in writing and in print a couple other times. It was worthy of stating today. I'll try to say this slow so you can write this down. A disciple is someone who has moved from being the recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. Let that sink in a second. I'll read it again. A disciple is someone who has moved from being the recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. The reality is all of us at some point became disciples. We were the recipient of God's grace, God's mercy through another disciple who is faithful to share Christ with us. But we don't stay there. The reality is once we become the recipient, now we bear the responsibility to take that grace that was entrusted to us, that gospel that has been entrusted to us, and to share it with others. If you're a disciple, listen to me, you are a disciple maker. And if you're not a disciple maker, you need to sit back and ask yourself, am I following Jesus, being transformed and taking on his mission? Because if not, you need to really evaluate your life. So thirdly, we answered the question, what's the difference between missions and mission? What is a disciple? Thirdly, I want you to see, what does a disciple-making process look like? When you go to Mark chapter 3, we'll look at his gospel for this. And this is the calling of the 12 disciples. If you remember, Mark is a lot more abbreviated in his words than the other gospels. He kind of comes at everything real quickly and concisely. But it really helps us see overall what was Jesus trying to do in the lives of these men? What does the process look like for us as a church of how we make disciples? And I think you see it in Mark chapter 3. When you look at this, you see it very easily. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, let these words sink into your heart. It says, he went up to the mountain and he summoned those who he himself, what? Wanted. Let that sink in a second. That means that Jesus, if you're a disciple, he chose you, an individual call. He saw you among the billions, and he chose, and he called, and he invited you in, right? There were more people than the 12 that were standing there that day, but Jesus said, I'm going to take these 12, and he chose for himself the ones that he wanted. Okay, let that sink in a second. It doesn't mean he didn't teach others. It doesn't mean he didn't pour into others. But these were 12 special men that he was going to walk with to make them disciples. And that tells you something about how we've got to take this large group of people. And discipleship doesn't happen on this level. It happens in much smaller groups. And it says, and they came to him, so they answered the call. And he appointed 12 so that they would, think of these words, be with him. That's a purpose clause. Right there, what Jesus is saying, is he said, I called you for a purpose, for a reason. What was the purpose? Exactly what you hear me say over and over and over. You've been saved so that you can be sent. 
You've been saved so that you can be sent. The gospel came to you on the way to somebody else, right? And listen to what he says. I called them unto myself and they came to me. And he simply says, for the purpose that they would be with him. That's that personal relationship. And that he could send them out to preach. To have authority to cast out demons. There's a lot in that little statement. First of all, what I want you to see about this disciple-making process that Jesus talks about here is that if we're going to make disciples, number one, it involves a clear call to follow Christ. Folks, what the world needs is the church to give a clear call. Not come to church, not just, you know, hey, we're having a barbecue. What they need is a clear call that God sees them, that God loves them, that the Spirit of God is moving and working in their lives to convict them of sin. He wants them to come to repentance. He wants them to cry out and place their faith in Christ, that He died for their sins upon the cross, that He was buried and He rose again and He's victorious over the grave, and He can save them if only they will cry out to Him. You see, it's a clear, concise, individual call that we need to give to people. God chose those men. He preached to those men. He called those men. And folks, when we tell people that we're calling them to Christ, what we are calling them to is a relationship. A relationship. I love what it says. He called them for the purpose, basically, of being with him. Isn't it awesome to think that the God who created us, even though he knew we were sinful, even though he knows everything about us, that he loves us so much that he would come and die so that we could have a relationship with him. No one's loved you the way Jesus loves you. No one loves you the way God the Father loves you. No one loves you like the Spirit of God. If everybody in this room knew everything about you, it'd probably be hard to find somebody to love you in our flesh. But Jesus sees it all, and he loves you. And you know what he says? He wants a personal relationship with you. But more than that, it's a call to responsibility. Not just the relationship, but responsibility to serve, to preach. He says he sent them to, with authority to cast out demons. The reality is that as believers in Jesus Christ, he saved us and he sent us. And we cannot separate the two. There's no believer who was saved but not sent. And like you heard a moment ago... This calling was a call to repentance. It was a call to a full change in the direction of their life. And folks, when Jesus calls, the reason we present the gospel to people is we are giving them the chance to respond because the gospel demands a response. Secondly, not only must we give a clear call to follow Jesus as believers, inviting people to him. Secondly, it involves assimilation into small groups. That once people respond to the gospel, we've got to get them into smaller and smaller groups. I love how Jesus met with these 12, but even beyond the 12, remember how many did he have? He took those 12 and got them down to how many? to three that he really, really, really poured into. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told the other disciples, you wait back, you hang back. Peter, James, John, I want you to go further with me. 
And there should be those people in our lives that we see the hand of God on them. We know that God has purposed and planned things for them. We see that they are hungry. We see that they are growing. We see that they are teachable. We ought to grab those people up. Everybody says, how do you choose D groups? Oh, very simply, we look for people that are hungry, that want to grow, that are faithful, available, teachable. Assimilation is getting the people of God into small groups. Why do we gather in small groups? For the purpose of instruction. Just so you can know what God's word says, teach you truth. Do what the Great Commission says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you to do. So it's instruction, but secondly, we gather for the purpose of modeling. It's not important, I mean, it's not, the only important thing is not just to teach people. The important thing is to live out our faith. We need godly men and women who don't just teach something, but they live something. Because the greatest way to learn something is to watch it, not just hear it. And so small groups give us a chance to model small groups that we gather for the purpose of accountability so that together when something is going on in another person's life, we're there. We know about it. We understand it. The hard thing about pastoring a church this large is people come to me all the time. They'll say, well, you know, I wasn't there six weeks. You didn't even know I wasn't there. I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't know. There's 600 people in the room. You know how a big church like this becomes a small church? You get in connect groups. You meet in homes for Bible study. You get in D groups. You you come to discipleship on Wednesdays. You've got to find a way. Get involved and serve in some capacity in this church. And this big church gets a lot smaller. And when you suddenly start having things and facing things in life, people are going to actually know what's happening so you don't have to walk alone anymore. No one should have to walk alone. But there are many of you, that's exactly what you're choosing because you've never gotten in small groups. And people just don't know what's happening in your life, and we have no accountability with each other. But we also gather for the purpose of transformation. Not just the gathering of information, but we want transformation to apply what we're learning, and that happens best in small groups. Thirdly, it involves mentoring and equipping. Not just a clear call to follow, not just assimilating, but mentoring and equipping. What it means is that, you know, just as Jesus had 12, he got it down to those three, and Jesus showed them even more than the other ones. Even more than the other nine, he really poured his life into three, and he mentored, and he equipped them. Why Peter, James, and John? Because they were going to become very important men in the life of the church after Jesus left. They were going to be leaders of the churches. Peter was going to be leading there in Jerusalem. They were going to need his leadership because Jesus was going away. John was going to become crucial in the life of the early church. And literally, Jesus is pouring into the lives of these men that he saw as the leaders for the days ahead. Because mentoring and equipping, it means we prepare leaders that we know are ready for the next step. How do we know they're ready? Because they're faithful. They're available. They're teachable. Are we preparing leaders to be those three things? Are we expecting each other as church members to be those three things? Faithful, available, teachable. Are you those three things? And thirdly, we must prepare leaders for the future of the church because there's a sad reality. I could die tomorrow. 
Listen, you could have lost the whole staff two weeks ago if that plane went down. (laughs) But you know what the reality is? We should have raised up already in this church people who can come behind us and who can lead this church regardless. Listen, nothing in this church should boil down to one man, two men, three men. You know what the reality is? Every teacher should have a teacher behind them. Every deacon should be modeling and mentoring a deacon to come behind them. Every pastor ought to be modeling and mentoring someone who could stand in the gap and take their place if suddenly they weren't there because Jesus knew I'm not going to be here. And so what did he do? He poured his lives into the leaders coming behind. It's what it means to be a disciple maker. And lastly, it involves missions mobilization. That simply means mature disciples that have accepted the great commission of Jesus. That we haven't made a single disciple until, and and I, I hope you hear the seriousness of that comment, that if you're not serious about the great commission of Christ, you really haven't been discipled. Not fully, not to the extent that you need to be, because disciples make disciples. And if you're not a disciple that even cares about making disciples, there's something wrong in your growth. There's something broken in in the journey that you are on, and you've not fully even come close to being mature in your faith yet. And as Paul would say, you got to get off the milk and you got to start eating meat. And realize that mature disciples have accepted the great commission of Jesus. Mature disciples, you know where they're going to be? They're going to be found laboring in the harvest fields. Again, I didn't say you had to go to Uganda, Moldova, Honduras. For most of us, the taste of mission comes when we start to be faithful in our homes and in our neighborhoods, and then we go on a trip like something like Baltimore in in our own country, and we see God moving and stirring, and more and more God fills you with a passion to reach the entire world. But let me ask you, are you a mature believer that's actually in the labor field in the harvests? And a mature disciple, thirdly, realizes that mission, what it really includes, when we talk about missions, We haven't done missions as a church, listen to this, until we proclaim salvation. Until we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and we give them a clear call to repentance. Like I said, we can hand meat through a window. Have we done anything to save them? No. We can can bring in inflatables and we can just say, hey, have fun. Have a, have a party on us, right? And we can go out there and they can jump for three hours and they're going to go home just as lost, just as desperate, just as helpless, just as hopeless. We've got to do the things that we do from, from fall festival to whatever. We've got to get to the place that every chance we get, we proclaim the gospel so that people can repent of their sins and hear the message of Jesus Christ because we haven't done missions until we proclaim. So church, over the next few weeks, I've given you the skeleton and we're going to put a lot of meat on that skeleton, a lot of meat on those bones where we've talked about we come and we worship. You can come on, Kevin. Speaking of come, come, Kevin. Come worship God. The clear, 
invitation to know Jesus? How do we as a church reach out and make people feel welcome in this place? And do we proclaim the gospel when they're here so they can hear the good news? How do we take the people that come in these doors, and that includes all of you, and be sure that each of you are assimilated into a small group in this church so you can accomplish the things that we talked about? How are we preparing you, and are you willing to be prepared to be educated, to be equipped to, I mean, all the things that you need to carry out ministry, whether it's being a teacher, whether it's being uh, someone who does pastoral care ministry, whether it's working with, with uh, abortion clinics, right, whether it's going out and trying to speak into the world and, and deal with these young ladies who are, who are thinking about something like abortion. Is anybody going to step into their life, show them a, another option and love them and walk beside them on a journey like that? There's so many ministries. Are you equipped and prepared to do them? And then are you faithful to go? Because we're talking about calling, transformation. We're talking about equipping. We're talking about launching you. My greatest hope, honestly, I wish that next week I came back and there wasn't a soul in here. It wouldn't hurt my feelings. If all of y'all suddenly were on the mission field, if all of y'all suddenly were pastoring church plants, if all of y'all were supporting Jason down at Shine, literally, listen, my goal isn't to see how many people I can fit in this room. My goal is to see how many people can we launch out in ministry whose lives will count for eternity as they fulfill the Great Commission. That's what I care about more than anything. A large church doesn't mean nothing. Ascending church means everything. Remember I told you, let's not be known for our seating capacity. Let's be known for our sending capacity. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the call that you've placed on our life. We thank you for saving us and sending us and equipping us. And Lord, we all sit back and we can think of that one person in our life that was instrumental in us coming to Christ and others that were instrumental in our growing and others that were instrumental in equipping us and others that were instrumental in, in challenging us to be on mission and launching us out into this world to be faithful with the gospel. And Lord, I just pray that as much as we think about those people and we love them and we're grateful for them and our hearts are filled with joy remembering them, Lord, I pray that you would put a passion in our heart that we would be that person that others think of. and give you glory and give you thanks for what you've done in the lives of your children. Father, we want to be those people that are the hands and feet of Jesus. So, Father, I pray for our church today. I pray for myself. Lord, that you would allow all of us to search our hearts and to be sure that when we say we are a disciple of Jesus, we actually are committed following you and being transformed and being on mission with you and if we're not then today change our hearts commit us to the greater tasks that lie before us and father i just pray that you would send out an army from this church to make a difference in eternity for your honor and glory it's always been about your glory and lord that never will change so may you be lifted up today as we pray lord let it be a prayer of surrender in jesus name Amen.